Our text for today is the entire book of Obadiah. The entire thing. That uh, I could only fit in the bulletin the last 15 through 21. A little too much for the bulletin, but it's just two pages in my Bible here. So I'll give you just a few seconds to find it. If you've been tra- tracking with us, we're going through the minor prophets. So we started with Hosea, then Joel, then Amos, and now we're in Obadiah. So put a bookmark in there for next week because we're going to Jonah. Follow along as we read the vision of Obadiah. The vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars from there, I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau? And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Why? Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob. Shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their possession, their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. The house of Joseph a flame. And the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor in the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Those of the Negeb shall possess Mount Esau. Those of the Shephelah shall possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. 
and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray before we contemplate these heavy words. God, we wait for You. We will wait for You to reveal Yourself to us. We are thirsty. Come and pour out on us through these words, living waters. Show us, God, how that we can survive such consuming fire. We who are like Edom, who have gone astray, exalted ourselves in our own pride, make Your glory known to us, God, that it would be worth dying to ourselves for. Make Your beauty known. That You would be all we want. That we would count everything in this life as rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ our Lord. Amen. Just a couple of weeks ago, with very little reporting in the news on the event, a fire raged in thousands of acres of forest land in western Virginia in the Appalachian Mountains. It destroyed millions of thriving plants, forced animals to flee from their woodland homes. Neighboring communities were covered, blanketed in thick smoke as the fires pressed near to them. Fortunately, nobody was harmed in these fires, yet great damage was done. And all of it was started by one person, deliberately. But it wasn't arson. The person that started the fire worked for the forestry department, which was conducting controlled burns throughout the forest for the good of the land. These controlled burns or prescribed burns are intended to eliminate invasive and overgrowing weeds Reveal, it helps reveal layers of minerals in the soils that would help the tiny seedlings grow and even stimulates germination on a more desirable type of tree. Burning off large sections of the forest can also prevent larger forest fires from taking over and destroying even far more. And these controlled burns, these types of fires have been used for thousands of years in farms and forests in order to stimulate life. That's what we're seeing in this tiny book of Obadiah. We are thrust into the fires of God's controlled burn of Edom in order to destroy everything that burns there and stimulate gospel growth in the land. There's going to be great destruction, but it's for the good of His people, everyone who flees the fire to find safety in Him. And when the fires have been quenched, abundant life will flourish. If the people of Edom, as we'll see in the book of Obadiah, want to find a lasting, flourishing existence, they are going to be utter, need to be utterly destroyed and find life in a greater kingdom. But this warning that we read in the book of Obadiah isn't just for an ancient kingdom that no longer exists, but it's for us as well. This, this is the call to us here today, 2,000 years later, 2,500 years later. In God's kingdom, 
Flourishing comes after destruction. Salvation through judgment. To find life in God's kingdom, you must die to yourself. To find life in God's kingdom, you must die to yourself. That's the theme we're going to explore in this book. This very short book. Only 21 pages that might show up on one or two, 21 verses that might show up on one or two pages in your Bible. It seems like it's a rather insignificant message. You have to either have a bookmark or a table of contents to find it in this sea of prophetic writing. But it's not insignificant. Its truth is vital for understanding who you are and what God is up to in this world. So we're going to fly through these 21 verses together that are directed at the people of Edom, but also to us in just three steps. First, in verses 1-7, through we're going to look back on Edom's life and figure out who are these people? Where did they come from? And then in verses 8-16, to we'll see Edom's death. The judgment of God on their sins. And finally, in verses 17 to 21, somehow we're going to find Edom's resurrection. How could they survive such a consuming fire? All of it is a picture for all of us to find life in God's kingdom by dying to ourselves. So let's look at Edom's life. Verse 1 tells us that this vision is from Obadiah to the nation of Edom. Unlike unlike the previous three minor prophets we've gone through already, Hosea, Joel, and Amos, those were directed at Israel and Judah, the kingdoms of God's people. But this time, a prophet writes for a foreign nation. Edom is a nation that's just south and east, my west, your east, of the, uh, what's that, the Dead Sea. Amos actually spoke a little bit about, in the last book that we went through, spoke a little bit about Israel, spoke a little bit about Amos. Good grief, I can't get my nation straight. Amos spoke about Edom, saying that Israel is just as wicked as Edom, and they're going to be destroyed together. But Amos also promised us that there's going to be a remnant of the people of Edom that's going to find new life alongside of this remnant of the people of Israel. Somehow, this foreign land that is full of wickedness gets to be part of God's kingdom. But why? Why do they get a special place among all the nations? Who are they? Why do they get a special book written to them in Israel's Scriptures? Well, first we need to remember that God is not just the God, some tribalistic God of the Hebrew people, as some suggest. Like they invented him and he's just for them. From the beginning of the Bible throughout, we see that God is the God of all creation. He has authority over every single nation. So Obadiah is one reminder that God has plans not just for the people of Israel, but for all nations as well. Now Israel's relationship with Edom goes back all the way to the time of Israel's birth. Not the nation, But the man, Israel, whose name first was Jacob. And his twin brother is Esau, who was later named Edom. And from the day they were born until after the time of Jesus, these brothers and their descendants were in constant conflict. Genesis 25-27 to tells us of some of their early fights. They were fighting as they were being born. Jacob holding on to Esau's 
ankle, his heel. Later on, Esau sold his birthright, his, his rights to an inheritance and responsibilities for a bowl of stew. Later, Jacob stole Esau's blessing as their father was dying. These two always fighting. They eventually made up together. Sweet moment in Genesis 33, but their descendants couldn't figure out how to get along. When 400 years later, when Egypt finally let go of Israel, they're running out of the, towards the promised land, straight through the land of Edom. And they say, let us get through. We're trying to escape those Egyptians. And Edom says, nope, you may not pass through our land. Later then, in 1 Samuel 14, Israel's become a pretty big nation, and so King Saul goes and attacks the people of Edom, sending their anger right back at them. It's just this back and forth for centuries. King David finally becomes ruler of the land, and in 2 Samuel 8, he conquers Edom. But they're not too happy, because when Solomon is king, Edom rebels against Solomon and further kings on down the line. Though Jacob and Esau reconciled, their descendants could not get along. And what's especially sad about this story is that they're both grandsons of Abraham, the one to whom the promised blessing was given to share with the nations, everyone who blessed Abraham's descendants, everyone who came to Abraham's descendants would be blessed. The whole world receiving this blessing, but... The offspring themselves can't even get along. One of Abraham's grandsons cursing the line of blessing through Israel. They should have been partners in taking this glorious blessing to the whole world, but instead they're in constant conflict, bitter enemies. Edom always trying to reassert himself, get his birthright back. I'm the older brother. I want it back. And finally in our text, it appears that they got their way. Look in verses 3 and 4. It describes their pride by talking about where they live. Their land, their cities are built on the top of massive cliffs. These cliffs tower about a mile above the land of Israel. So Israelites have to look up, literally up into the sky to see their older brother looking down on them. They would build their cities into, the, into rocks, into the sides of these cliffs, thinking that they were impenetrable. And they made treaties with foreign nations that could not destroy them, thinking, nobody can bother us here. We are untouchable. So they say in verse 3, who will bring me down to the ground? Finally, Edom has the upper hand over little brother Israel. They've got peace and prosperity. They've got military might. But they don't realize they've already been infiltrated. God has snuck in and is about to bring them down. Thieves are breaking in by night, verse 5. Their alliances, God says in verse 7, are worthless. You thought you made treaties with other countries, but they can't defend you against me. Edom is about to be humbled. And their humiliation is going to be disastrous. In verses 8 to 14, we witness Edom's death for their great pride. God says, Will I not on that day 
declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau, and your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman, that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Every man. Their military might wiped out. Their great wisdom that they thought they had in, in building their city in these rocks and cliffs will be so foolish when they can't escape. Those who have exalted themselves high above all the other nations, high above God's own holy mountain, they will be brought low. Because, verse 10 says, of the violence done to your brother Jacob. Specifically, while the nation of Babylon had come around, come down from the north to destroy the nation of Israel, they busted open the gates of Jerusalem and came and ransacked the nation. They were taking people out of, into exile on their own. And Edom just stood by from their high and lofty perch and laughed and taunted them. Psalm 137 verse 7 gives us the words that they could hear from, from those high perches. The Edomites cried out, Lay it bare! Lay it bare down to its foundation." Just standing by while verse 11 says Babylon plundered Jerusalem. In verse 12, they gloated, rejoiced, boasted over Israel, laughing at their misfortune and distress. But not just standing aloof and laughing and rejoicing over them, but verse 13 says it got even worse. When Babylon came and busted open the gates of the city, Edomites snuck into the city, entered the homes of those who lived there and looted all of their property. A few Israelites managed to escape. They got outside the city and ran away, hoping maybe there'll be a better life for us out there than what's happening in here. But verse 14 says that the Edomites caught up to them, cut off their escape, and returned them to their attackers. Esau wanted his birthright back. And the only way he could get it was if his brother was completely dead. Nobody left. Edom made sure as best they could, that no Israelite would survive and God's promises would be cut off. And for this, God says, instead, in verse 10, He's going to cut them off forever. Trying to keep God from fulfilling His promises is kind of a bad idea. So the punishment is going to be thorough. If you read quickly through this book of Obadiah, you just as I did when we started, it feels so dark and heavy, doesn't it? You hear the extent of this judgment coming upon Edom. Verse 2 says they will be utterly despised. Verse 9, every man will be cut off by slaughter. Verse 10, Edom shall be cut off forever. They, verse 16, it shall be as though they had never been. So, just in case you're thinking, is anybody from Edom going to survive? Verse 18, the final nail in the coffin. There shall be no survivor from the house of Esau. God is going to wipe these people off the planet for their pride, for trying to keep God from keeping His promises, for thinking they are more powerful than God Himself. The day of the Lord that we saw in the book of Joel that was to come upon Israel is coming upon Edom as well, who is simply a representation, verse 15 says, of all the nations. God 
is going to wipe them out. The weeds have overgrown the land. The fruit trees are not bearing fruit as they ought. It's time for a fire to consume every acre. But we know that our God is sovereign. He's in control of every flame that licks every plant. He's the ultimate vineyard owner. He's a careful forester. This fire isn't out of control. It's a prescribed burn intended to bring life out of the ashes again. And so, in verses 17 to 21, we see Edom's resurrection. You might wonder how, and we'll get there, because it doesn't happen in the way that we think. Listen to some of these words. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. The house of Joseph, a flame. And the house of Esau, stubble. So God's going to save a remnant of Jews. Some people are escaping this Babylonian attack on Jerusalem. And they're going to come back and spread like fire. And they're going to burn down every last remnant of Esau. As Edom tried to do to Israel, it's going to be done to them. God's people are going to be saved and they're going to overcome this current trial and return and conquer all the neighboring nations. And so now you're wondering, you said that Edom was going to be resurrected. This doesn't sound like such good news for Edom. Reading these last few verses of Obadiah sounds like Edom ceases to exist. And that's what many Jews thought. You read that in the New Testament when the disciples are all excited. When's the kingdom going to come? Should we call down fire on them? And Jesus says, you guys aren't getting it. They couldn't wait until the other nations were destroyed. But they should have seen promises throughout Scripture that said other nations were called by God to come and be part of His holy kingdom. Even Amos last week foretold that a remnant of Edom would survive the day of the Lord. Now, many interpreters take care of this conflict. Are they going to be wiped out or is there going to be a remnant? They take care of this by saying, well, Obadiah is just exaggerating. This is hyperbole to make a point about the coming judgment. But I don't think he's exaggerating at all. I think Obadiah has the words of the Lord. And if you look around today, how many people from Edom do you know? Lots of people I've met claim ancestry of of Israel. Some even in this room. They have a land they can point to that was theirs. But I don't know anyone who claims to be from Esau. They've been wiped out, haven't they? They ceased to exist. That's not to say that there's no people who might carry some Edomite blood in them, but we don't know who they are. All their defining characteristics, their customs, their religion, gone. They've been wiped out. Well, how did that happen? We can see in our text that the neighboring nation of Babylon came in and wiped out, not completely, the, the city of Jerusalem and took a remnant of Israelites back to Babylon. We're told that they are going to get to come back someday. About 30 years later, the Babylonians continued their push south and did the same thing to the Edomites. They brought even a remnant of Edom back with them to Babylon. 
And verses 19 and 20 then speak of Israel getting to return to the land after they've been dispersed throughout the world. But we never hear of Edom getting the chance to go back to their land. Instead, we read from history that later Persian kings came along and they forced the Edomites to go back and live in southern Israel alongside the Jews. And all the local Jewish leaders at the time in this intertestamental period between the Old and the New Testament, they forced the Edomites to adopt their religious and cultural customs. These new Edomites became known in Greek as Edomians. The most famous that we know of are King Herod and his family. So Edom has been resurrected to new life, but only within the kingdom of Israel they had to take on a new identity to continue their lives. This is what Obadiah is talking about. This is what he's prophesying for them to have new life. They must be consumed by Israel. And they were. Yet, in A.D. 70, when the Romans came back to destroy Jerusalem, they were completely wiped out. They had no land to claim as their own. They had no religious values or cultural customs to take on as their own. And so when Jerusalem fell, that was it. Snuffed out for the line of Esau. Gone forever. So, what happened to this promised resurrection? They've been snuffed out. When are they coming back to life? Well, we need to see that God's kingdom isn't just a small piece of land in the Middle East. Israel wasn't intended to simply be a a political entity on the other side of the world with certain religious and legal customs. The eternal promises of blessing given to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel were more than just joining a temporary earthly kingdom. It all points to a particular person. You guys know the answer. It's the same answer every single week. Every sermon points to Jesus Christ. Every book, every prophecy is telling us about Him, about His kingdom. To find your place in God's kingdom, you must die to yourself. Find a new identity in Israel. In the true Israel. In Christ Himself. Just like Edom could only continue their existence Under the nation of Israel, you will only find your lasting eternal identity in the king of Israel. All of these interesting facts, I don't go through them just to give you history nerds a little extra something to to play with during the week. I know we've got a few of them. All of it, God has orchestrated all of history to point to Jesus, His wise providence, to show us how salvation is in Christ alone. In order to find your place in God's kingdom, you must die to your old identity just like Edom did. Like a controlled burn, he's going to destroy everything that grew in your previous life so a new identity in Christ can rise from the ashes. For all nations, including Edom, including us, if we want to find a life of flourishing forever, we must look to the resurrection that occurred in Jerusalem. I'm not just talking about a resurrection of a few Jewish people who managed to rebuild their city. Obadiah gives us shadows of something greater to be happening here. In verse 11, Obadiah says, Edom stood by while Jerusalem was destroyed. 
They watched over this destruction. And what did they do while they watched over? They cast lots for all of Israel's possessions. But Obadiah is not just looking at this event. He is looking forward to the time when Christ is hanging on a cross, dying under God's judgment, and neighboring nations are standing around Him. And what do they do? Matthew 27, 35 and 36. When they had crucified Him, they divided His garments among them by casting lots while they kept watch over Him. People passed by and they taunted Him. Who are you? Save yourself! Just like Edom did when Israel was being plundered. But Jerusalem as a city would rise again one day and so will Jerusalem's king. Jesus would rise to life and Obadiah 17 speaks of that. It's more than just a a group of people returning to the land. It's going to become rise to be a holy city. And it's a holy city because Christ Himself is the only one who is holy. Mount Zion, the city of Jerusalem, is rising from the dead in Christ. Only He is holy and will conquer all nations by Himself. So Paul writes when he speaks of the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus rose from the dead and He's putting all nations under His feet. He is putting the whole world into subjection to Himself. Obadiah wants us to see more than just a nation, a people returning to their land. He's looking down the timeline of history and he sees Christ, the true Israel, the greater Zion, reigning over every nation on earth after his death and resurrection. And the reality of this is finally hit in the last phrase of Obadiah. The kingdom shall be the Lord's. The kingdom doesn't belong to Israel, to a remnant of Israel. The kingdom belongs to the king himself, to Jesus. Jesus is the king who says in Matthew 28.18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It is his. Paul comes along later and writes a more complete picture of what Obadiah was trying to describe. Paul writes in Philippians 2, Being found in human form, Christ humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him. He rose Him from the dead and He's given Him, bestowed upon Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess. What are they confessing? That Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Lord in Obadiah who reigns in Mount Zion. The kingdom is Christ's. And all who desire a flourishing relationship, life in His kingdom must become like Edom. Dead to themselves. Dead to everything that once defined your existence. Dead to anything you want to use to identify who you are and only find life in His resurrected King. This isn't something that we're just making up. You read about this over and over in the New Testament. Jesus says the same thing. You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Me. He says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. But whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Paul picks up the theme saying, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
He says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I've suffered the loss of everything, all things. I count everything as rubbish, dung, trash in order that I may know Christ. Dozens of New Testament texts repeating the same idea. It's the theme of the New Testament because it's the promise of the Old Testament. Those who die to themselves will rise with the King to eternal life. So all the pain and suffering in your life and the trials and tribulations are God's controlled burning away of all the dead, decaying matter in your life. The thorny weeds that are keeping you from the abundant life in Christ. Your desires that go unsatisfied are God's flames, the smoke from God's flames choking out everything that would keep you from knowing Him. So they would dry up and be fulfilled in something far greater. Everything we do as a church must be about using the Word of God, joining God in proclaiming Truth that cuts down, tears down, destroys all of the stuff that doesn't honor Him in our lives and builds us back up. Planting gospel seeds in your heart and building us back up into a new kingdom. People gathered, surrounded, meeting in community groups throughout the week. Helping each other look to Christ. Our sermons cannot be about meeting your needs. Your community groups cannot be just about having friends. Our singing is not to lift you up, but everything we do is to lift Christ up so that the higher He is, the more we can be raised with Him. Edom didn't realize it, but they were made for something far greater than living in the side of rocks perched above a desert. It doesn't sound so great to me, but they thought it was the greatest thing they could ever accomplish. And though it may be hard for you to imagine, you were made for things far greater than the dry desires of your heart. Christ has redeemed you for His purposes. Specific purposes that even Obadiah hints at in verse 21. Look at this confusing phrase. Saviors shall go up to Mount Zion and rule Mount Esau. You, you'd think it would say Savior, singular, right? But it says Saviors, plural. The singular is there and the kingdom belongs to the Lord. But He is going to have a band of people who represent His salvation. Whose job it is to go into the nations and proclaim this salvation under His authority. That is you, church. In Christ, He takes people from every nation all over the world. He brings them together at Mount Zion. Knits them together into a new family. A new identity where we are stuck together on His mission and He builds us to send us out. Church isn't just a place you go for an inspiring message and and encouraging music. The church is the people of Christ's kingdom being shaped together to represent Him throughout all the earth. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And so if you are in Him, when you find your identity in Him, He says, go, go. Make disciples of all nations. Your identity today, if you are in Christ, is an instrument of God's salvation. He's calling you to join a church and send, equip, to be equipped by the church and sent out to, by the church into a world to tell of this salvation. This is your identity. This is your calling. 
if you deny yourself. Die to yourself. Allow Him to burn off all that defined you before and rise to new life with Him to a life you never imagined possible. Let's pray. God, how much do I desire to hold on to all those things that defined who I am, who I was? How much do I exalt myself above You thinking I should define what I get in this life. I should determine how my desires are fulfilled. God, would You shape us into a people who have died to ourselves, who have burned away all that holds us back and chokes out Your truth. And would You, by the power of Your Spirit, raise us to new life, that we would be brothers and sisters, we would be ambassadors We would be your representatives, saviors who have come to Mount Zion to rule the nations by your love. Amen.